Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, tonight we have a guest speaker who has been a part of this fellowship all the way from the beginning. Uh, He's a pastor of Calvary Chapel Golden Springs. His daily radio broadcast, Somebody Loves You, can be heard around the country as well as our own KNKT. Would you please welcome Pastor Raul Reese. Thank you so much. Good to be with you guys. Albuquerque is one of my favorite places. (laughs) Really beautiful place. Awesome. Really neat. Well, it's, it's, it's so many things are going on in the world today, and it's just been amazing. We just found out that, um, if you guys can keep us in your prayers, my wife found out she has cancer, breast cancer. So if you can pray for her, we're going to be meeting on Tuesday to see when they're going to do surgery. And then we know that God is in full control. We're totally sold out to the Lord. Whatever God has for us, we don't really care. You know, so that's how we feel about that. So it's to us, it's, uh, we know the enemy is always mad because we're doing damage in the kingdom of darkness. And so we are the kings, uh, not only are we in the light, but at the same time, look what God has done in every person's life here tonight. God does so much stuff, He just blows me away that we're living in such a time as this, because Jesus Christ is coming again. One of the things that has been on my heart for a long, long time, and I've just been wrestling with it, I'm going through the book of Matthew in depth on Sunday mornings, and then on Wednesday nights I'm going through the Psalms. And one of the things that has been really speaking to my heart, as I've been teaching the people, is that I was going through the book of Peter the other day, and one of the things that spoke to me clearly, because of the times that we're living in today, it's in the book of Second Peter, chapter three, verse nine. If you have your Bibles, go there. Second Peter, chapter three, verse nine. And the title of my message tonight is "Why Do We Have to Repent?" Now, that's a real uh, important word in the New Testament. Uh, we know that Jesus and Peter and James and John. And almost every single one of them, including Paul the Apostle, their first message was a message of repentance. Now the reason I say that is because as I travel around the country, and travel abroad, I was just in South America, I was in Peru, out in the jungles of Peru, and just an amazing thing to be able to see what God is doing among the Indians, and among the people in the villages. And to be able to see how God's word never ever returns void. But then at the same time, as I was talking to some of the indigenous people there, all of these people that come from America, Europe, and different places, and they bring the wrong kind of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they begin to confuse the body of Christ. We're living in such a time as this where the emerging church now is gaining a lot of ground. And surely we are living in a time where I really truly believe that Jesus Christ will come again. Because so many things are happening so rapidly. And yet when Peter wrote his epistle, I began to not only read it, but I also believed in what Peter was writing. Because I believe that there are many people that do not really understand. 
that the word repentance is not just a word that is used in our dictionary or in a concordance. But when the Bible speaks of repentance, he's speaking of a person that is truly coming to the cross of Jesus Christ. And he's coming in full awareness that he or she has sinned against God. And that before I can ever commit my life to Jesus Christ, I need to understand that if I'm going to truly repent before God and man, there has to be a change of attitude and a change of heart. Otherwise, it's of no value. I think that today in the church as a whole, and that speaks of every denomination, there are many, many people sitting in the pews of America and the world they truly, truly have never really understood repentance. Why do I say that? Because of all the counseling that we do in Calvary Chapel. All of the stories. Think of what's taking place today all across America where marriage and divorce, marriage is no longer a sanctification or a setting apart of a husband and a wife. The church has become so loose that they're marrying two or three or four times and getting rid of their husband or their wives. The Bible is very clear when it comes to the Word of God, and I think it's really of importance that as we look at the church and we look at the world, we can see the condition. If I was to say, excuse me for a second, I would say it is the Corinthian church. And it could also be the lukewarm church in the book of Revelation. Because I I really see as I read the scriptures clearly, that there are people who have not only sinned, but are continuing in sin tonight, and they really do not understand the word harmakia, or the missing of the mark. Or should we say, you know, people that are transgressing against the Word of God and against the grace of God. Just because grace has been given to us, we need to realize that too much is given, much more is required. Much more. Life is too short. I mean, when you think of you know the years you've already lived, and if you're young here this evening, you have to understand that, you know, I can go back in my own personal life and, and, and how rapidly the years have taken its toll. You know, and now as I look at my children, my sons, and now granddaughters and a grandson, you begin to think that, hey, time is limited. And if you don't take advantage of time, it will be too late. The reason I say that is because when I go to the hospitals, and I visit old people's homes, I can hear all of the remorse and all of the stories as I talk to these old people of what they could have been and what they could have done, but they didn't. You don't want to be like that. You want to make sure that you are at peace with God and that God is working in me and working through my life. There has to be a true change in that person's life. And yet, there has, in many people's lives, has been no change of heart or of attitude. And yet some of these people, they go to church, they participate in services, 
And they even serve in the church. In the church, they serve even in our churches. And yet their heart is distant from God. And that's sad. Because really and truly, when you think about that, the church, instead of becoming spiritual, I would say that today the church is a thousand miles long, but only three feet deep. That's what the church is today. And it's really sad when you study church history, you begin to see what God did with His own apostles. You go back into the Old Testament and you read of the prophets of the Old Testament, and you read even when Samuel was called of God at the age of 12 years old, and God spoke to him and gave him a message to speak to the priest Eli, which was supposed to be the spiritual leader of the church in that time, in the temple worship. And yet his children were laying with women in the temple. They were taking the offerings, using them on themselves. And then God got so upset with it that he sent little Samuel, 12 years old, three times at night he came and spoke to him, thinking that Eli was speaking to him. And the fourth time, Eli realized this is the word of the Lord. And he said, when you go back to bed now, say, here I am, Lord, speak. And he spoke. The next morning when he got up, as he was out in the patio, Eli came to him and said, Hey, what did the Lord tell you? And Samuel was sitting there saying, Well, you know, I can't really tell you because it's not good. And he said, Well, if it's not good, you better tell me because I want to know. So he told him, he says, God said that he's going to kill your kids. He's going to kill them. And then you know what's amazing? As you read the rest of the story, his sons go out to the battle and the Ark of the Covenant is stolen. And when the messenger comes to Eli, he was a pretty heavy set guy. He was sitting down and they told him, Hey, your sons have been killed in the battle. It didn't really bother him as much as when he heard that the Ark of the Covenant was taken. He fell backwards, broke his neck, and he died. God knows what he's doing. God's in control. God was in control of this whole election. Believe it or not. And, and, and when people come and they talk to me about the election and you begin to see people that are voting for abortion, voting for abortion and voting for homosexuality, something is wrong. Something is definitely wrong. Because we shouldn't do that. It's really important to stand in righteousness for we serve a righteous God. And then here again, Peter in his lesson this evening, in Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9, he's coming to a place where now he'll speak to us and he says this, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as sound count slackness. But is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See that word again. Now here he's talking to the church and he's speaking concerning this word repentance that has not only been abused today all over the world. But we notice here that God wants to forgive, God wants to bless a person if a person is willing to obey God's word. Obedience has to be the key. And the first thing that we need to understand and to do in our own personal lives is that we need to examine 
our own personal lives, to make sure that we are not literally hiding anything from God. Because God sees everything and He hears everything. That's what people forget. You can't hide from God. He hears every conversation in the secret place and even in the public place. And I think it's of importance for us tonight to understand that we must take time every single day to make sure that we are walking in the presence of God. And that God is truly my Savior. And that He truly has touched my life. He's cleansed me and washed me by His blood. And that I'm available to Him for God to use my life and however He wants to use my life. Even if I have to be killed, it doesn't really matter why. Because I serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We don't have to be fearful. Jesus even said, Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in Me, believe also that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again to receive you unto Myself. So that where I am, you also will be with Me. I like that. That Jesus Christ is going to come again. But Paul the Apostle, as Peter writes here, even Paul the Apostle in writing his second letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 13, 5 said, Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. You see? He's talking to Christians. Are you sure you are a Christian? Are you sure you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Are you playing church? Are you an actor? In the early church, actors would get on stage. And when they would perform, they would be called men of many faces because they would have 10 to 12, 13, 14 masks. Sad, happy, angry, crying. Whatever face you wanted to put on, you could put it on. And that's what happens many times in the church. The way we actually live our public lives is not really the way we live when we're in the house of the Lord. We're only pretending. We need to really be careful with that. Because there are people that have been not honest with God and men. And they need to repent. They need to really repent of their sin in their personal lives. There's another story in the Bible, in the book of Acts chapter, actually chapter 7 or chapter 5. By a young man by the name of Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And what's interesting about that story is that here are two men, here's a woman and a man, that have sold their properties and the early church is beginning to happen, the Holy Spirit has come. And the Holy Spirit wants to make sure that there is a clean house before the Lord. And so he decides to get together with his wife and they plan together to lie to the Holy Spirit. Because he tells his wife, now look, even though we sold the property for this much, you know, we're going to tell them that we sold it for this much and we'll keep the rest of the money for ourselves. They should have been honest. But what happened? When Ananias came, he lied to Peter, he thought. And Peter said, you're not lying to me, but you're lying to the Holy Spirit. He says, and now what God is going to do to you is, they're going to carry you out, and they're going to bury you. And he dropped dead. And then his wife came in three hours later, praising the Lord, hypocritically. 
And, and Peter said, did, did you and your husband get together and did you sell the property for so much and so much? And this is the truth. And she said, yes, it is. And she said to her, listen, why again did you decide to take sides with your husband? The same people that carry your husband out three hours ago here, the same people are going to carry you out and she dropped dead. If people today would drop dead, we would have probably... Not a lot of people in church. Not a lot of pastors either. Seriously. It's sad. I mean, we can laugh about it, but it's so sad. It's so serious. That we don't really fear God today. And that God wants a holy people. A holy people unto Himself. And yet we see as we run through the scriptures... That there are so many, so many people that do not understand that sin separates me from fellowship with God. It breaks fellowship with God. Just like Ananias and Sapphira broke fellowship with God. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 59 verse 1 and 2, he said, Behold, the Lord's head is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sin has hidden his face from you, so that he cannot hear, and he will not hear. You see? God will not hear. Unless there's a clear channel, unless there is true repentance in the life of that person, when you approach a holy God, He wants a holy people to come before Him. Remember in the book of Isaiah, when they were coming to the temple, and they were worshiping, and they were lifting their hands unto the Lord, and the Lord says, He says, tell my people to put down their hands, because their hands are full of blood. Full of blood. Full of sin. It's so sad. But sin separates me from the presence of God. And here in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, he's saying that God's face is hidden from you, and that He does not hear your prayer until you repent. Until you forsake it. He hides from you. It's really of importance that we truly confess our sin and that we forsake sin and that we draw close to the heart of God. Why? Because true confession of sin restores my fellowship with God immediately. Immediately. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9 it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. We also have to understand that we have a lawyer at our personal defense when we do fall short. Jesus Christ. We have a lawyer personally defending us. And we need to believe that God is the only one that can keep me in His love and grace and mercy. And I do understand that I do need a lawyer desperately in my defense. Why? Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Think of how many times Satan accuses you. and accuses me every day. You know, about a year, 
a year and a half ago, almost two years. The Lord laid on my heart to go ahead. Something happened in government and the Lord allowed me to find three friends of mine from Vietnam that I fought with in the same platoon. And what happened is that uh, we uh, had an article with the Fisher Magazine with Franklin Graham and the government read that article and they called me and they got a hold of uh, Chicatelli and they got a hold of Camateras and Silva and myself because they wanted to check up on us and some of the things that I shared that I should have not shared, I did because I was a Christian. I was being honest and they told me that I was going to get myself in big trouble. And so what happened is that, you know, this uh, lady came along and uh, she had a Vietnam husband and he got pretty messed up in Vietnam too. So on 9-11 when that happened, he flipped on and he left home. Never saw him again. And when I was in Las Vegas doing the crusade uh, two years two years ago, right before we did the crusade, I was at a men's conference. And she walked up to me and she said, can I speak to you for a second? So I said, sure, no problem. So we started talking. And she says, I have this burden. I saw your quiet hope and I was just blown away by the quiet hope. And my husband left and I don't know where he's at. And he flipped out. And I wanted to know if you were, if you're going to make the second part to the quiet hope. And I said, well, we've been praying for 17 years that we want to do something like that. Yes. And so what she did is she, you know, she prayed about it. I told her to pray about it. And the next time I saw her, in that in the following day, she came back. And she wrote out a check for a million dollars to do this film. And what was really amazing is that before she handed the check over to me, she said, she held it out like this, and then she held it up to the, she says, I want you to know that Satan is going to come after you. I said, Satan's always after me. What's new, you know? And you know what happened? Two weeks later, I was supposed to go to Vietnam for the first time after some 40 years to film these places where we fought. And I was driving home one Wednesday night after teaching the book of Hebrews chapter 3. I got up to my home. It was kind of dark and cloudy. And I was in my car. When I turned off my car, this thing from my navel came to my throat, from my throat to my actual brain. And I started flipping out and I thought I was back in Vietnam. I was running down the street. I went crazy for six weeks. Lost my mind. Lost my mind. I couldn't preach. I couldn't teach. I couldn't do anything. I've never had problems in my life. I just threw it away once and for all. And you know what? My wife and my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law came one day to the house and they were worshiping and singing songs to me to the Lord. And I called Pastor Chuck one day as he was teaching on Sunday morning and he had just finished his third service. So I called him. He got on the phone. I said, Pastor Chuck, I can't take this anymore. You need to pray for a miracle to happen. And he prayed. And when he prayed, I felt like the Lord touched me. And the Lord did touch me and totally healed me. I went to Vietnam. We filmed. I came back. And then we went to Vegas and we saw the results of what God could do. Over 45,000 people came to the crusade. And so many hundreds, hundreds of kids got saved. And now we're going back two years later. And Satan once again attacks, now my wife with cancer. But you see, I understand the ministry. I understand my call. 
I don't, I, I don't want people to have pity for me and my wife. We know where we stand. We know who we serve. And we want to make sure that our channel between God and ourselves is clear and clean. Because we don't know how long we have left on this earth. And our goal, and our vision, and our passion is to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. And if we're going to have churches, and if we're going to be children of the light, then we need to have clean hands and clean lips and a clean heart and a clean mind and clean feet to enter into the presence of the Lord. In the Old Testament, when the actual priest would go into the holiest of holies once a year, he would tie a rope to his right ankle, he would have his garments on, and at the bottom of the garments there was little belts. And as he would go in, once those bells were not ringing any longer, it would be because there was sin in his life, and God had killed him, and nobody could enter into the holiest of holies, so with this rope they would pull him out. Because the priest was in there to intercede for the people. The Bible says they were what? Were priests. Kings and priests in the kingdom of God. And if God truly is working in me and through my life, then I need to realize that the only way that I can experience God's true peace in my life is to be right with God. To be right with God. That's why in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul said, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Jesus Christ. The word repentance means to have a change of mind, a change of heart and a change of attitude toward God and toward men. I wonder if tonight, those listening to the airwaves and those sitting here tonight, there may be someone or some people that think that they actually have been Christians for a long time, but they continue to be in their old lives. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ Jesus, all things are passed away. Behold, all things become brand new. You see? It doesn't mean we're perfect. None of us are perfect. We all trip and fall every day. But as the attitude that we take upon ourselves when we come to the cross of Jesus Christ, Husbands cannot be abusive with their wives. Wives cannot be you know, talking back to their husbands. They have to be submissive in the love to Christ. The church has to be clean in order for our communities and our nation and the world to see that we are true light and true salt. That's what God desires in these last days. Because in God's calendar of events, in eschatology, the next event will be what? The rapture of the church. And if the rapture of the church is coming soon, and Israel is the true sign in the last days which we are watching and seeing today, and the Muslims are multiplying themselves, and cell groups in America are growing, 
And you're beginning to see what's happening in America, in the world, as we're moving away from God. And we're becoming a godless nation. It takes me back to that word repent again, but it takes me further back to that, to the book of Exodus, or excuse me, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, chapter 29, and chapter 30. Where Moses warned the people of God and said, listen, Israel, you're going to be the head leading, and you what? He says, you'll lead the nations into what? Into knowing God. But the day that you turn from me, and you begin to worship other gods, instead of being the head and leading, you're going to become the tail. You're going to become the tail. He says, and your children, and your children's children, he says, will become overruled by foreigners, and by other people, and they will lead. They'll become the head, and your children will become their slaves. Look around people to what's happening. It's everywhere. America's not what it used to be. America's changing drastically. And the problem is because the church has not been real salt and real light. Because we, the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if we truly have repented before God, then we should have the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to go out into this dark world and truly become a light on a hill. And to become salt. One salt is no longer of any value. He says, well, you take it and you cast it into the paths of men to kill the weeds. It lost its flavor and savior. And I think of how many people within the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are hiding in the church. Hiding. And they're not being truthful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, if we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit within our communities and in our churches, Every pastor, every leader, every sheep, every lamb needs to repent. To really, truly repent before the Lord. And to come to the place with a new heart and a new mind. The prophet Ezekiel 36.26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Imagine that. When David sinned against God with Bathsheba. Remember? For a whole year he kept himself from God. First of all, when Bathsheba got pregnant, David began to think, what am I going to do now? I'm the king. According to the law, is by stoning to death. Death. So what does he do? He writes a letter to Joab, his cousin. He says, hey, send Uriah back home for some R&R with his wife. He comes home and makes a party for him. And then he says, okay, now go home. Be with your wife. When he came out, he saw the men outside that were with him. He said, I'm not going to go home if they can go home. So he slept outside. The next morning they woke up. They would woke up and they said, hey, guess what? Uriah never went home. What? He never went home? No. Well, let's do another party. (laughs) 
So he throws another party the next night and he makes him eat and drink. And then he says, now make sure you get home. And as he was going home again, he slept outside, not with his wife. And the next day when he found out what happened, Satan came to him and said, you know what you need to do, David? Write a letter to Joab and say, put Uriah to the front lines and then withdraw yourself and have him killed. And then you'll be okay. And remember, he carried his own death warrant. Never opened it, Uriah. Faithful to God, faithful to his king. And when he got to Joab, gave him the piece of paper. He opened it up, read it. He says, come up to the front lines. They withdrew from him and they had him killed. And then he wrote another letter back to David. Mission accomplished, sir. He's dead. And what did he do? He took immediately his wife into his own home so that nobody would know that she was pregnant by him. To cover his sin, he committed murder. And then a whole year almost went by. The baby was going to be born. And then what happened? The baby was going to be born and it would be David's baby. And what happens? The baby is born and then the baby gets sick and the Lord takes the baby. And David still hasn't repented. Still hasn't repented. He's committed adultery. When he went in his rooftop, looked at her while she was bathing, brought her up, had sex with her, and then she got pregnant. And now the baby's born, and now God takes the baby home. And then finally, God has to send the prophet, Nathan. And Nathan says, you know what, David? There were two men, a rich man and a poor man, and he was having a party, and the guy next door had a beautiful little hue lamb that he loved as a pet. But this rich man didn't want to kill any more of his land. So he went next door, grabbed it by force, killed it, barbecued it, and gave it to his guest. He says, what would you do such a man? David said, that man deserves to die. He says, you're that man. You took someone's wife, you killed her husband, and then finally David did what? He repented before God. But David had to reap to his sins. Aslam, his son. Remember what he did? When his brother raped his sister, he ended up killing his brother. And everything started going downhill. It's really important that we understand what true repentance is. And that we do stand in the presence of God and we need to be not only aware in our conscience, in our mind that God is in full control of my life and God will do whatever He has to do to get me to my knees. Whatever. Why? Because He loves me so much. We are the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord is going to be coming very soon. And I'm always thinking and wondering, when the Lord comes back again, I wonder how many truly will be going at the rapture of the church. If you're left behind, beware. Don't take the mark of the beast, because you'll be done. You'll have to be beheaded. You'll have to be killed. That's what the Bible says. And it's really important because your children and your children's children are watching your life. That's why husbands are to love their wives and wives are to love their husbands and we're to protect our children and we need not to play the hypocrite in the home and then go to church and get them confused. We need to be the same people in church and at home and in the job. Not hypocrites. 
the true Christians. I like what Oswald Chambers says, scriptural repentance leads to positive salvation and sanctification. The only true repentance man is the holy man that repents. Then Tozer said, I think there's a little doubt that the teaching of salvation without repentance has lowered the moral standards of the church and produced a multitude of deceived religious professors who erroneously believe themselves to be saved when in fact they are still in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. That's the church today. That's the church today. We need to repent. We need to turn back to the Lord. We need to return to our first faith, to our first love. Jesus told the church of Ephesus, repent. If you don't, I'll go somewhere else and work. But if you repent, I'll stay. And I'll use your life. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.